0: Chapter 2, Part 4, Book 2 of Confession of a Child of the Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chassie. Confession of a Child of the Century by Alfred de Musset. Translated by Candle Warren. Book 2, Part 4, Chapter 2 a kind of stagnant inertia tempered with bitter joy is characteristic of debauchery it is the sequence of a life of caprice where nothing is regulated according to the needs of the body but everything according to the fantasy of the mind and one must be always ready to obey the behests of the other youth and will can resist excess but nature silently avenges herself and the day when she decides to repair her forces the will struggles to retard her work and abuses her anew finding about him then all the objects that were able to tempt him the evening before the man who is incapable of enjoying them looks down at them with a smile of disgust at the same time the objects which excite his desire are never attained with sang all that the debauchee loves he takes violent possession of his life is a fever his organs in order to search the depths of joy are forced to avail themselves of the stimulant of fermented liquors and sleepless nights in the days of ennui and of idleness he feels more keenly than other men the disparity between his impotence and his temptations. And in order to resist the latter, pride must come to his aid and make him believe that he disdains them. It is thus he spits on all the feasts and pleasures of his life, and that between an ardent thirst and a profound satiety, a feeling of tranquil vanity leads him to his death. Although I was no longer a debuchee, it came to pass that my body suddenly remembered that it had been. It is easy to understand why I had not felt the effects of it sooner. While mourning my father's death, every other thought was crowded from my mind. Then a passionate love succeeded. While I was alone, Ennui had nothing to struggle for sad or gay fair or foul what matters it to him who is alone a sink that demi-metal drawn from the blue vein where it lies sleeping attracts to itself a ray of light when placed near a piece of green leather thus Brigitte's kisses gradually awakened in my heart what had been buried there at her side i perceived what i really was There were days when I felt such a strange sensation in the mornings that it is impossible for me to define it. I awakened without a motive, feeling like a man who has spent the night in eating and drinking to the point of exhaustion. All external sensations caused me insupportable fatigue. All well-known objects of daily life repelled and annoyed me if i spoke it was in ridicule of what others thought or of what i thought myself then extended on the bed as though incapable of motion i dismissed all thought of undertaking whatever had been agreed upon the evening before i recalled all the tender and loving things i had said to my mistress during my better moments and was not satisfied until i had spoiled and poisoned those memories of happy days can you not forget all that brigitte would sadly inquire if there are two different men in you do you not when the bad rouses himself forget to humour the good the patience with which brigitte opposed those vagaries only served to excite my sinister gaiety strange that man who suffers wishes to make her whom he loves suffer to lose control of oneself is that not the worst of evils is there anything more cruel for a woman than to hear a man turn to derision all there is that is sacred and mysterious yet she did not flee from me she remained at my side while in my savage humor I insulted love and allowed insane ravings to escape from lips that were still moist with her kisses. On such days, contrary to my usual inclination, I like to talk of Paris and speak of my life of debauchery as the most commendable thing in the world. You are nothing but a saint, I would laughingly observe. You do not understand what I say. There is nothing like those careless ones who make love without believing in it. Was that not the same as saying that I did not believe in it? Very well, Brigitte replied. Teach me how to please you always. I am perhaps as pretty as those mistresses whom you mourn. If I have not their skill to divert you, I beg that you will instruct me. Act as though you did not love me, and let me love you without saying anything about it. If I am devoted to religion, I am also devoted to love. What can I do to make you believe it? Then she would stand before the mirror arraying herself as though for a ball affecting a coquetry that she was far from feeling, trying to adopt my tone, laughing and skipping about the room. Am I to your taste? she would ask. Which one of your mistresses do I resemble? Am I beautiful enough to make you forget that anyone can believe in love? Have I a sufficiently careless air to suit you? Then, in the midst of that facetious joy, she would turn her back, and I could see her shudder, until the flowers she had placed in her hair trembled. I threw myself at her feet. Stop! I cried. You resemble only too closely that which you try to imitate, that which my mouth has been so wild as to conjure up before you. Lay aside those flowers and that dress— let us wash away such mimicry with a sincere tear do not remind me that i am but a prodigal son i remember the past too well but even this repentance was cruel as it proved to her that the phantoms in my heart were full of reality in yielding to an impulse of horror i merely gave her to understand that her resignation and her desire to please me only served to call up an impure image and it was true i reached her side transported with joy swearing that i would regret my past life on my knees i protested my respect for her then a gesture a word a trick of turning as she approached me Recalled to my mind the fact that such and such a woman Had made that gesture, had used that word, Had that same trick of turning. Poor devoted soul, what didst thou suffer In seeing me turn pale before thee, In seeing my arms fall as though lifeless at my side, When the kiss died on my lips, and the full glance of love That pure ray of God's light Fled from my eyes like an arrow Turned by the wind. Ah, Brigitte, What diamonds trickled from thine eyes! What treasures of charity Didst thou exhaust with patient hand? How pitiful thy love! For a long time, Good and bad days succeeded Each other almost regularly. I showed myself alternately cruel and scornful, tender and devoted, insensible and haughty, repentant and submissive. The face of Dijunet, which had at first appeared to me as though to warn me whither I was drifting, was now constantly before me. On my days of doubt and coldness I conversed so to speak with him, often when i had offended brigitte by some cruel mockery i said to myself if he were in my place he would do as i do and then at other times when putting on my hat to go to see brigitte i would look in my glass and say what is there so terrible about it anyway i have after all a pretty mistress she has given herself to a libertine, let her take me for what I am." I reached her side with a smile on my lips. I sank into a chair with an air of deliberate insolence. Then I saw Brigitte approach, her large eyes filled with tenderness and anxiety. I seized her little hands in mine and lost myself in an infinite dream how name a thing that is nameless was i good or bad was i distrustful or a fool it is useless to reflect on it it happened thus one of our neighbors was a young woman by the name of madame danielle she possessed some beauty and still more coquetry she was poor but tried to pass for rich She would come to see us after dinner and always played a heavy game against us, although her losses embarrassed her. She sang but had no voice. In the solitude of that unknown village where an unkind fate had buried her, she was consumed with an uncontrollable passion for pleasure. She talked of nothing but Paris, where she visited two or three times a year. She pretended to keep up with the fashions. My dear Brigitte assisted her as best she could, while smiling with pity. Her husband was employed by the government. He once a year would take her to the house of the chief of his department, where retired in her best, the little woman danced to her heart's content. She would return with shining eyes and tired body. She would come to us to tell of her prowess and her success in assaulting the masculine heart. The rest of the time she read novels, never taking the trouble to look after her household affairs, which were not always in the best condition. Every time I saw her I laughed at her, finding nothing so ridiculous as the high life she thought she was leading i would interrupt her description of a ball to inquire about her husband and her father-in-law both of whom she detested the one because he was her husband and the other because he was only a peasant in short we were always disputing on some subject in my evil moments i thought of paying court to that woman just for the sake of annoying brigitte you see, I said, how perfectly Madame Danielle understands life. In her present brightly humor, could one desire a more charming mistress? I then paid her the most extravagant compliments. Her senseless chatting I described as unrestrained, tempered by finesse. Her pretentious exaggerations as a natural desire to please. Was it her fault that she was poor? At least she thought of nothing but pleasure and confessed it freely. She did not preach sermons herself, nor did she listen to them from others. I went so far as to tell Brigitte that she ought to adopt her as a model, and that she was just the kind of woman to please me poor madame daniel discovered signs of melancholy in brigitte's eyes she was a strange creature as good and sincere when you could get finery out of her head as she was stupid when absorbed in such frivolous affairs on occasions she could be both good and stupid one fine day when they were walking together she threw herself into brigitte's arms and told her that she had noticed that i was beginning to pay court to her and that i had made certain proposals to her the meaning of which was not doubtful but she knew that i was another's lover and as for her whatever might happen she would die rather than destroy the happiness of a friend brigitte thanked her and madame Daniel having set her conscience at ease, considered it no sin to render me desolate by languishing glances. In the evening when she had gone, Brigitte, in a severe tone, told me what had happened. She begged me to spare her such affronts in the future. Not that I attach any importance to such pleasantries, she said, but if you have any love for me, It seems to me it is useless to inform a third party that there are times when you have not. Is it possible, I replied with a smile, that it is important? You see very well that I was only joking, and that I do it only to pass away the time. Ah, my friend, my friend, said Brigitte, it is too bad that you must seek pastimes some days later i proposed that we go to the prefecture to see madame danielle dance she unwillingly consented while she was arranging her toilet i sat near the window and reproached her for losing her former cheerfulness what is the matter with you i asked i knew as well as she why that morose air that never leaves you in truth you make our life quite sad i have known you when you were more joyous more free and more open i am not flattered by the thought that i am responsible for the change but you have a cloistral disposition you were born to live in a convent it was sunday As we were driving down the road, Brigitte ordered the carriage to stop in order to say good evening to some friends, fresh and vigorous country girls, who were going to dance at Tilleux. When they had gone on, Brigitte followed them with longing eyes. Her little rustic dance was very dear to her. She dried her eyes with her handkerchief we found madame Danielle at the prefecture in high feather i danced with her so often that it excited comment i paid her a thousand compliments and she replied as best she could brigitte was near us and her eyes never left us i can hardly describe what i felt it was both pleasure and pain i clearly saw that she was jealous but instead of being moved by it i did all i could to increase her suffering on the return i expected to hear her reproaches she made none but remained silent for three days when i came to see her she would greet me kindly then we would sit down facing each other both of us preoccupied, scarcely exchanging a word. The third day she spoke, overwhelmed me with bitter reproaches, told me that my conduct was unreasonable, that she could not account for it except on the supposition that I had ceased to love her. But she could not endure this life And would resort to anything rather than submit to my caprices and coldness her eyes were full of tears and i was about to ask her pardon when some words escaped her that were so bitter that my pride revolted i replied in the same tone and our quarrel became violent I told her that it was absurd to suppose that I could not inspire enough confidence in my mistress to escape the necessity of explaining my every action, that Madame Danielle was only a pretext, that she very well knew that I did not think of that woman seriously, that her pretended jealousy was nothing but the expression of her desire for despotic power, and that, moreover, if she had tired of this life, it was easy enough to put an end to it. "'Very well,' she replied. "'It is true that I do not recognize you as the same man I first knew. You doubtless performed a little comedy to persuade me that you loved me. You are tired of your role and can think of nothing but abuse.' YOU SUSPECT ME OF DECEIVING YOU UPON THE FIRST WORD, AND I AM UNDER NO OBLIGATION TO SUBMIT TO YOUR INSULTS. YOU ARE NO LONGER THE MAN I LOVED. I KNOW WHAT YOUR SUFFERINGS ARE, I REPLIED. I CANNOT MAKE A STEP WITHOUT EXCITING YOUR ALARM. SOON I WILL NOT BE PERMITTED TO ADDRESS A WORD TO ANYONE BUT YOU you pretend that you have been abused in order that you may be justified in offering insult you accuse me of tyranny in order that i may become your slave since i trouble your repose i leave you in peace you will never see me again we parted in anger and i passed an entire day without seeing her The next night, toward midnight, I was seized by a feeling of melancholy that I could not resist. I shed a torrent of tears. I overwhelmed myself with reproaches that I richly deserved. I told myself that I was nothing but a fool, and a cowardly fool at that, to make the noblest, the best of creatures, suffer in this way. Entering the garden, I saw that her room was lighted, and a flash of suspicion crossed my mind. She does not expect me at this hour, I said to myself. Who knows what she may be doing? I left her in tears yesterday. I may find her ready to sing today, and caring no more for me than if I never existed. I must enter gently in order to surprise her." I advanced on tiptoe, and the door being open, I could see Brigitte without being seen. She was seated at her table, and was writing in that same book that had aroused my suspicions. She held in her left hand a little box of white wood, which she looked at from time to time and trembled. There was something sinister in the quiet that reigned in the room. Her secretary was open and several bundles of papers were carefully ranged in order. I made some noise at the door. She rose, went to the secretary, closed it, then came to me with a smile. ''Octave,'' she said, ''we are two children.'' If you had not come here, I would have gone to you. Pardon me, I was wrong. Madame Danielle comes to dinner tomorrow. Make me repent if you choose of what you call my despotism. If you but love me, I am happy. Let us forget what is past, and let us not spoil our happiness. End of chapter 2 Part four, book two.